0: Yeah, it's always a good place to start if you're going to talk about depression by going over to the book of Job. So let's go over there for a moment. And most of you have uh, at least read maybe the first couple of chapters. You know that uh, he went through a tough time, challenging time. Loss of servants, loss of animals, loss of children. And in the end, the uh, evil one petitioned that he might smite Job actually with physical ailment. We're going to pick this up here in uh, chapter 2. At about, uh, oh, about verse 9 or so, his wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I don't want to get into a marriage seminar this morning, but um, that's not what we should be doing with each other. Can I have a good amen? amen. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Look at this verse, and all this God uh, said Job did not die, sin in what he said. And the very next verse it speaks of Job's friends coming to comfort him. Scripture says when they saw him from a distance they couldn't even recognize him and they basically sat with him for seven days and seven nights and they didn't say a word. Now watch this, he's replied to his wife, and all this he hadn't sinned against God. Then these men show up. Now watch. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. <laughs> There's a sermon there. May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, a boy is born. Now, you and I have a modern translation that we could probably relate to, and instead of this phrase, I curse the day of my by birth, a lot of people in our society would say, I just wish I'd never been born. Same meaning, same context. When you're dealing with depression, you're dealing with what we would call mental condition that's characterized by things like despondency and things like dejection. Typically, it can come from a variety of reasons and sources and roots. When we think about depression, other than modern translations, you won't find that word in the Bible per se, Again, going back to some of the more most reliable and older translations, but you will hear words like this, terminology like downcast and brokenhearted and troubled, miserable, despairing, and even mourning to describe the depressed person. When we talk about depression from a clinical standpoint, often we're going to talk about it as a complex disorder with a lot of different intersecting reasons and causes and roots. For example, it could be genetic, it could be biological, it could of course be something that you're dealing with, uh, you know, in terms of the psychology of it all, or spiritually. I mean, I understand that things like sin and fear and doubt can certainly cause you to go into depression. There's certainly consequences of what we do in terms of our spiritual life, so... We have to understand it's a combination of these things, things like oppression from the evil one. There are a lot of believers right now in this very season that are severely under the oppression of the evil one. But how do you understand, just like the video, didn't come to stay, it came to pass. Yeah. That's where your hope and confidence has to be today. Depression is complex, and oftentimes people will oversimplify it you know, in terms of uh, how it's approached, or even demonize people that are going through it. But if you look in the Word of God, you'll find a plethora of people who dealt with depression, and the Scripture didn't hide the depression from the reader. People like Moses and Jeremiah and David even. We think about people in the Scripture that dealt with things like Jonah and and depression in Scripture, and they went through a real time. Elijah went through a serious time. Right after major victories, he went into a serious tailspin uh, of depression. So look at somebody and say, you're not a monster if you're depressed. In fact, you're no more a monster than any other ailment or situation you could experience as a child of God. Chances are right now in this room, there's somebody battling depression. Somebody that you work with every single day battling depression. Somebody that you have in your immediate nuclear or extended family right now battling depression. And demonizing people is not going to help them get better. And have a better amen. No, we need to find the solution from Scripture that will help them walk out in victory in this situation. In Job's case, his uh, depression was the result of great loss. In fact, if you'll think about your life, you could probably live 3, 5, 10, 15 lifetimes and not see the level of loss that he experienced in that short window in the book of Job. And oftentimes we'll look at our lives and say, poor pitiful me. Well, there's always somebody that has it worse than you. I don't care how bad it is right now, there's always somebody that is dealing with more than you are. And it's important to understand that concept because you're not careful, you'll give yourself permission to walk in pity, and pity will not bring deliverance from depression in your life. It'll just make it worse and worse and worse. So his depression was the result of great loss, but depression can also come from pain or separation or stress or too much responsibility, a sense of loneliness or being cut off from people disease, persecution, or just battle fatigue just like in Elijah's life. There are a lot of Christians that are experiencing fatigue right now because they're, they're hanging in there, but some of them by a thread. The bottom line is depression will get a stronghold when people lose their hope and joy in the short term and the long term they lose their vision that God does have something great for them yet to do in their lives. I want you to point to somebody and tell them, God has great things in your life and depression can't stop it. Now, while you're depressed, can I tell you something? God's still moving forward with his plan for your life. While you're having a bad week, year, month, or whatever, God is still moving forward behind the scenes to advance you. He's not subject to your feelings or to your experiences. No matter how broken you are physically, mentally, emotionally, he is still advancing your cause and his cause for the gospel. So be encouraged that it's not about you to begin with. Heaven is not going to fall apart because you're having a bad day. If you or have have been depressed, and there may be a day when you experience this, you're in good company in terms of Scripture, but you're in even better company because Scripture tells us to get out of it. Aren't you glad for that? Foundationally, because we're spirit beings, and this applies mostly to the the born-again believer, the person that walks with God and loves God, And the reason I say that is, if you're not walking with God, a lot of these principles will not work for you until you first turn your life over to Him. Now, that said, just because you are born again doesn't mean somehow you'd never experience something like this. What you need to do is realize that the root for the Christian is primarily spiritual because you're primarily a spiritual being. For example, if a born-again child of God who's Spirit-filled chooses to live in a carnal manner in this world, they'll be subject to the same carnal, you know, consequences as people who don't know God. And a lot of people are living that way, and they're, they're, they're getting the fruit of the lifestyle they've chosen to live. So, for you as a believer, say, me, as a believer, the root of depression is spiritual, Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things that go wrong with the chemistry in your brain, there aren't things that go wrong in terms of the mechanisms of your body. That's all true. But at the end of the day, the born-again person, the seed of your authority, is not your soul, it is your spirit. And depression is a manifestation of a disorder in the soul, not the spirit of man. Do you see this today? So, in other words, the spirit man should be in a position of strength and power to overrule what's going on in the soul. And that takes some discipline, it takes some revelation to do that. But how many understand, we're made in His image, we have His mind, we can do this in Jesus' name. And that's when you start uh, growing. You you begin to realize what the enemy's trying to do, and you monitor what's happening in your life, and you allow yourself to deal with the soul just like the psalmist does, and scriptures we'll get to in just a moment, over in Psalm chapter 42 if you want to turn there. It says in Psalm 42, verse 5, it also says the same thing in verse 11, and in 43, 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Now, if you were here today, and you're here, say, I'm here. And you're paying attention to the song selection, you'd have thought that Bryce and I had a powwow yesterday and talked about the service today. But that's how the Holy Spirit works. He's interested in giving you and sowing into you greater hope than you've ever had in your entire life. This scripture is very, very important because it tells us some things about the nature of depression. First of all, notice that depression is a function of the soul, the mind, will, and emotion. The man of God here, recognizing he is downcast, or what we would call depressed, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? This manifests in the mind and the will and the emotions. But the long term victory requires the supremacy of the born again spirit operating underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, the neglect of that spiritual principle is reason enough we enter into a time of depression or being downcast. I also want you to notice that the depressed person is disturbed on the inside. Everybody say on the inside. Come on, say it the depressed person. Is depressed on the inside. In other words, I can have feelings going on in here and have nothing to do with the reality out here. This is my reality. This is where I live, this is where I breathe, this is where I feel. I can have all these things and all these perceptions and all these conclusions about my life and the life of others and what's going on and I can be completely wrong and often I am wrong because these things are manifesting on the inside of me. This is where you're disturbed on the inside. It tells us automatically that their external perspective is skewed, it's clouded and it's wrong. We've got to remember today, especially at times like this, that the devil is a master in making things look on the outside far worse than they actually are. He's looking for implosion on the inside. So you look out there, and because of the disturbance on the inside, you don't see things clearly. I'm not going to get into it yet. We'll do this a little bit later on in the service. But I want you to notice that all those men did was sit there in silence. I want to correct your thinking about one thing you've probably heard if you've been in the body of Christ long enough. They say something like at a funeral, well, you know, nobody ever remembers what, they, what is said. They only remember that you were there. Can I tell you something? All seven of them said nothing. They were there, and then he cursed the day of his birth. So, if you're thinking that people don't need spiritual counsel and direction at the time of the loss of a loved one, you just need to be there, that is not biblical. In fact, it made Job's situation even worse. So we have to be wise that just being there is wonderful and great, but people need to have something that will restore them back to a place of life in that season. You read the Word of God. He didn't curse God or He didn't curse His birth, but when they showed up and said nothing for seven days, it changed everything. All of a sudden, He is now... Speaking evil with his mouth. you need to understand that the devil is a master. Whatever you're going through, I promise you this: He knows how to amplify that like no other being. If somebody treats you harm in a, in a harmful way, then no one likes you now. If you have a pain in your body, then all of a sudden you have pains all over your body. and you get on Dr. Google. Find out about your symptoms, and now everything is wrong in you. Amen? He's a master at making everything look worse than it is. And if you're living in here where the disturbance is, you're not going to see that. Your perspective is skewed. Notice that the only long term remedy for depression is a right relationship with God and a determination to praise Him no matter what is going on. Say it with me I am determined. To praise Him, no matter what is going on. I want to read just a verse or two here from Psalm 42. If you haven't got there, you can go ahead and go there. And then we're going to flip over to Psalm 43. In uh, Psalm 42, he makes this statement, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Nazar. Deep caused the deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song uh, is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Do you see this? Um, The remedy for the problem in the soul is the advancement in the authority of the spirit, which God has designed to be stronger in you, but it must be tended to. I want to just leave you with just two very powerful kind of a one-two punch, how to triumph over depression. I want you to look over to the next page there, Psalm 43, and the Scripture says basically the same thing. And I want to just uh, maybe just start at verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Can you see this is the same thing that we would call depressed. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. To the place where you dwell. Everybody say dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O oh God, my God. Why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? Why so disturbed let me put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You may be on top of the world right now. You may feel like the world is on top of you, but you know what? Right now you can praise him because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't get depressed. Now, how that's possible, I don't know, dealing with all of us, but he does not get depressed. You praise him, you connect to what he is and what he has. I want you to see this today. There are two very powerful forces that are mentioned in this little passage of Scripture. And two things you need to do if you want to overcome and stay in victory over this thing called depression. Number one is you need to go to the light. Everybody shout the light out. The light. Say it again, light. light. Say it again, shout it out, light. light. Go to the light. This means His revelation, it means His word. It means that's what's going to guide you out of the darkness. Proverbs 4 tells us that these things the Word of God, the precepts, the revelation of God are actually health to our entire being. This light will guide us where we need to be, this light will actually produce in us the ability to see what is true. This light will actually show us where things really stand and what we need to do about them in terms of our situation and our place, whether it's emotionally, uh, physically, mentally, financially, whatever's going on, the way you come out of that darkness is with this light. And it's available to all of us, isn't it, church? I said it's available to all of us. It's not hidden. It's on our phones. It's on our iPads. on our computers. It's in our laps. It's on our shelves. It's everywhere. The the problem is not the dissemination of the light. The, the, The problem is the exposure to it. In this way, if it's always available, then we have the ability to live above and beyond this situation, regardless of what you call it, he says, "Then let them guide me, you know. Let them bring uh, me to your holy mountain." This is the key: is staying in a right relationship with God by going to the light and going to it daily. I want you to notice something. This this young man on this video who lost his legs said something very powerful and profound that I want you to grab onto. He said, I have a favorite verse, it really was mom's favorite verse, this came to pass. Well, if it didn't come to pass, and if it came to stay, that wouldn't be true, but it came to what? It came to pass. Now you and I know that that's just a piece of a verse, but to him it was a lifeline. And I heard this back in 1995, I believe it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, when I heard Brother Copeland say this. He said, one word from God can change your life forever. I want you to see that this came to pass, got him to not give up on that burn bed. This little verse that it came to pass, got him to go through all the pain instead of giving up to hang in there. This little verse got in and put on one leg, then the other, then to stand up, then to walk, and then to run. That little bitty verse. Why am I saying this? There is power in the word to bring change and victory in your life. What I have found is not. God's going to give me a a chapter or a book necessarily, but he's going to give me a word that is going to bring light to that situation. And I am going to plant both feet on that word. And he is going to bring me to victory every single time. He just had a sliver of it. That's how powerful the word is. And what this means is you go to the light and you expect God to give you the phrase, give you the word give you that piece of Scripture that you can hold on to to bring you out of that darkness and into light. I give you a lot of examples through the years, but, you know, Kelly and I have been married now for almost 33 years. Well, we have been married 33 years. Yeah. Now, we have a problem with the year. She has it down to the second. But uh, you know, she'll tell you that she had a verse when she was chasing me. <laughs> Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. And she used to say it like this: Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you your heart. <laughs> and, and apparently, it worked. And apparently, it stuck. That's not saying you can't be confessing a plethora of scriptures. I'm just simply saying sometimes you open up that word and you're in the middle of a situation like that, you're not ready for a sermon. You're not ready for one of Pastor Art's series. But if the Lord can hit you with just a piece of the truth and explode it as revelation in your hearts, all that becomes real to you, that light guides you where you need to go. And I'm not advocating just read a sliver every day. What I'm saying to you is you go to the light and the process of reading, study, meditation, memorization, day and night like Joshua, day and night like Psalm 1, all of a sudden something's going to explode on the inside of you. And that's where you put your confidence at. Amen. Uh, About, uh, you know, 1990 or so, we really started believing God that he would place a, a baby in our hands. And we believed God he was going to put a baby Moses in our hands in our life. And that was how God began to lead, guide, and direct. And I remember reading through one time, I was in Barren River at a minister's retreat and I saw a scripture in Psalm 68 and it says that God sets the lonely in families. Exploded in my heart. Now, if y'all had sex and had a baby, that's okay. But God set me, amen. And set Kelly one in our home by divine intervention. Hallelujah. Aren't you jealous? <laughs> and I mean, I can show you preaching Bible after preaching Bible, and usually when I wear them out, I saw them in somebody's life, but every one of them was marked and highlighted at that verse. Absolutely exploded on the inside of me, and that was to me a promise from God, and I kept that thing, and I kept that thing, and I kept that thing. And I kept that thing. And she came up to me one day, it was, uh, well, it was 1992, wouldn't it have been, Christmas time. And she had $100 cash left over, and it was in her heart to invest it into a crisis pregnancy center over in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And I said, well, you know, God's prompting you to do it. Better go do it. So we agreed in prayer. She went and did that. We sowed that seed towards God doing this miracle in our own lives. In March, man of God came up to us in Louisville and said, I have a baby. Do you want one? And Kelly said, (laughs) oh, absolutely. That was the first part of the miracle. The second part of the miracle was that we didn't have a dollar to pay for medical fees, for legal fees, nothing. And in this country, it's still pretty expensive to go through the process. By June, the Lord had delivered almost $12,000 into our hands for every aspect of that responsibility and transaction. What God had actually done was He had intervened in our lives, but also intervened in His life because the family of His birth mother, His in laws, and, and this, uh, this husband wanted her to abort this child. And they said to them, You know, what you're going to do is you're either going to have an abortion or you're just going to get out. You, that's your choice. Go abort the baby. Or get out. And they actually put her out on the streets of Radcliffe, Kentucky. Everybody say Psalm 68 God says to the lonely in families, He was moving on our side of this thing, and He was moving in the womb on the other side of this thing. Radcliffe Police Department picked her up. One of them had heard about a place in Louisville that was just starting called Hannah's House. It was a crisis pregnancy center run by a friend of ours, Bob Rogers. And they set this thing up and they got the counselor and they got everything they needed and they began to open up that door and uh, that's where they took her. And that's where Kelly and Rita, I think, eventually met this woman who was giving birth and eventually uh, she was taken by, by, he was taken by C-section a few days late in, uh, in May of that year and we went into Audubon at that time, the hospital of Audubon, and that's where we met him. And I can tell you this, what the devil tried to do to him failed miserably. Can you see this? The real miracle is after his placement, that operation, Hannah's house, was shuttered. How powerful is a piece of scripture? I said, How powerful is a piece of scripture? You're thinking you have to be a scholar. You're thinking you have to be some great teacher. You have to be some great evangelist. If you can just go to the light and get a piece of scripture and you put your feet down on that thing, God will do miracles on every end of that situation to bring you to pass in your life. He gave us the open door, the access, gave us the funds, preserved the life on the other end, had a home for the mother to go. And it's not even possible to to tell you how much of a blessing Tim is to us. But you can tell him how much of a blessing he is to you, can't you, right now? Amen. Glory to God. Uh, when you're in a situation like we were, you could be despondent, you could be depressed, you could be aggravated. But what good is it? What you really need is go to the light and get that verse, that one word from God that will change your life forever. And I'm telling you, God has that for you today. What are you going through? What are you dealing with? You need to go into the light and wait on him until something explodes and you'll know God gave you that verse. Do you know to this day, I still mark every Bible in that verse. And maybe I will till Jesus comes and beyond. Because that's how much it exploded in my life. Look at somebody and tell them, tell them go to the light. Come on, say it again, go to the light. Well, what can just a piece of scripture do? I'm telling you, it has power to bring itself to pass. That's how God created this world. Hallelujah. That's how God sustains all things with his powerful word. The scripture says, I'm telling you, he can sustain you what you're dealing with just as well. Amen. Come on, shout it out. One word word from God God can change your life life forever. forever. And we got Tim and then we got Sarah. And then we got Juliana. Pop-pop's her favorite. (laughs) Psalm 68, it's like the verse that keeps on giving. Do you see what I'm saying? Where did it all start? A financial seed and a Bible seed. And all these years later, we're still reaping the harvest off of going to the light. I know a lot of people in situations like that, they don't go to the light. They go everywhere but to the light. But I'm telling you, we couldn't love him more, couldn't be more proud of this young man, couldn't be more proud and love Sarah and Juliana, and it all came from the Word. Come on, shout it out. Say, "Thank thank God for the Word. The second thing he mentions here is life. Number two, go to the life. You're despondent, you're down, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're dejected. Go to the life. The scripture speaks of going into God's presence. He calls it my joy and my delight. Listen to me. I don't care how great you are, how much you know, how much revelation you have, how long you've been saved. If you stop going into the life your joy and delight is going to diminish. There is no way for you to finish in your flesh what God started in the Spirit. If you want joy and delight every day of your life, you've got to go into the life. You've got to go into the presence of God. Have you noticed that Sunday morning alone won't fix you? Doesn't seem to last very long, does it? It wasn't designed to. It was designed for you and to me to fellowship with Him, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what He always wanted, and that's what He still wants today. You see, you can't maintain joy and delight without God's presence. There needs to be in that moment confession, and praise, and worship, and conversation, and communication. There needs to be a time that you have where you are going into the life. I mean... I hear this all the time, and you have too. We quote this scripture all the time. The thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy. Raise your hand if you ever heard that one before. But the scripture says, but I have come that they might have life more abundantly to the full till it overflows. The question is, how do you get that life if you don't go into the life? You can, you can quote that scripture all day long, but if you are not interacting with him, if you're not doing a Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus regularly, you're not going to have that kind of victory in your life. Well, I quoted that scripture. You said He came to give me life. Yes, but you got to hook up to it. You can buy the biggest flat screen television in the history of man. And I'm thinking about it. You can, it's, it's got all these wonderful gizmos on it. It's going to do all these things. does everything but make your coffee and drive your car. But I don't care how many things it can do, how many features it has. If you don't plug it in. Come on, church. If you don't plug it in, you will never get to see what it can do. And if you don't plug into him daily in his presence, you'll never really get to see what He can do in your life. Are you here today? There's never, ever any distortion in God's presence. Whatever perception you brought in in your brokenness, whatever you brought in in terms of the pain, in terms of the sorrow, in terms of the depression, whatever perspective you brought in God can quickly push that out and give you reality. In fact, your highest reality is going to come in His presence. Out of His presence, there's distortion. In His presence is the highest reality. That's why it's the key to the abundant life. Could you imagine somebody born again spirit-filled that never goes into His presence? No wonder their perception is distorted. You cannot perceive this world and people and circumstances and situations you know, correctly unless you are habitually going to the life. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. What happens if you cut the branch off the vine? It dies. A lot of depression that believers go through could be remedied over the long haul if they would just go back into the life of God. They heard us say devotion or don't be a Martha, be a Mary, or we, you, know, have you have you had a quiet time with God? And we see this as, as drudgery. We see it as legalism. We see it as some kind of a to-do list, but in reality, it's the key. That's where the life is. So we go into the life and our perspective begins to line up with what he thinks and how many know what he thinks is always right. You start your day, you come out of that season of prayer and everything makes sense now because you've got an idea of what his perspective is on that situation. Amen? These aren't rules. He don't encourage you to To have one thing. We don't tell you to have a devotional time. We don't tell you to read the Word and get in God's presence because it's about rules. That's our very key. I would dare say, no matter how despondent you can get, you won't stay that way if you get into the light and get back into the life of God. Well, I thought church would take care of it. A lot of people go to church that don't have much victory. Well, I'll be a church member. That'll fix it. A lot of church members have no victory. But the ones that are in the house of God, the ones that are members, the ones that are following God in terms of their associations, they're having victory because they've learned the power of the light of God and the life of God. There is no substitute. Come on, shout out. There is no substitute for the life of God. And catch this, church. He has given you free access and entrance. Jesus has made a new and living way for all of us. If we had a revelation of how important, how big that was, we would never absent ourselves from the presence of God. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, "Go into the light. Go into the life. That's where your joy. That's where your life is. Job was depressed. Then his wife and so-called friends made it worse by not pointing him to the light and to the life. All those three friends did was try to tell him how wrong he was. Well, you know, if we're looking for wrong in people's lives, we can always find it. They did not push him towards the light and the life of God. Then a Young prophet named Elihu began to speak, and then he tagged him God the Father, and God began to dress Job down. And once the light in life came, Job repented. And God began to turn that whole situation around. Now, I promise you this no matter what happens, you'll never compare to the, what Job had and what he went through. But I tell you this your life should compare to what he got afterwards. You should enjoy what God did for him on the back end of this. Look at, uh, at uh, Job 42. When you get back into the light, when you get back into the life of God, what can he do? Verse 10, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous, what? Again. And gave him twice as much as he had before. Come on, shout out the double for his trouble. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted him. Hallelujah. I say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And consoled him all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Well, I've never had a relative bring me silver and gold. Happy Thanksgiving. Where's my silver? Where's my gold? <laughs> never happened. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had fourteen thousand sheep, six thousand camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. That's a lot of Democrats. <laughs> and he also had seven sons and three daughters. He'd been really blessed if he had some elephants. Moving right along. The first daughter, well, you can get the point here. It's not over just because you're depressed. It's not over just because you're disheartened. It's not going to do us any good to sit you down and tell you everything that's wrong with you. But if we can get you back in the light of God and get you back into the life of God, your perspective's going to change. And I believe he's got a double for your trouble. Like I prophesied in Jesus' name, hey Bill, God's got a double for your trouble, brother. Say it with me a double, a double for the trouble. What do you have to do? Get back into the light. Get back into the life of God. I love this. After this, Job lived 140 years. Not only was he going to die of the disease that was afflicting him, he's going to live 140 years. He saw his children and their children in the fourth generation. And so he died old and what? Full of years. How many know that's a very different Job than the one we read about in chapter 3? Now, my brother, my sister, you might be in chapter 3 right now. But I'm going to encourage you to get back into the light and the life of God. Let God give you one word from he- from God that can change your life forever. Get back into His presence, so perspective can come back to you in your life, and your story can be just like this. It doesn't end in, dis- in destruction. It ends in God advancing you and blessing you. I heard Brother Savell tell this story. You know, Charlton Heston, 1956, and quite the epic movie, The Ten Commandments, production by Cecil B. DeMille, and even by today's standards, not with special effects, but with real actors. and I mean, real sets. This thing is quite the the amazing accomplishment. Um, He came to the director and he said, I do not know how to drive a chariot. A lot of people know in ancient chariot races, a lot of people would never get to the finish line they'd turn those things, and a lot of them, injured menium would die on in the, in the real thing. It was real skill to have a, a team of horses with that little bitty chariot behind it, and then it would race these things. And he said, I can't do this. And so, we'll just stay at it. He eventually began to stay on the thing and be able to turn a little bit, but he said, there is no way that I'm going to be able to win that race as the movie depicts it. You know what Cecil B. DeMille said? He said, stay in the race. I'll see that you win. No, God is saying the same thing to you today. Stay in the race. He'll see that you win. Can you receive that today? I mean, if you truly can, can you receive that as a word for you? Fix your eyes on him, the author and the finisher of your faith. Come on, stand on your feet and give them a big round of applause. Bless them today. Stay in the race.